Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Pop. The views and opinions of this show do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this network and its affiliates. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Dollhouse Sports Radio Show. It's Sunday morning. I am your host, Steve Etzkowitz. Hopefully, my co-host, Patrick O'Henney, will log in any moment from now to share in a crazy sports talk fest that we have in store for you. What a week it was in the world of sports. Super Bowl 52. All sorts of storylines coming out of that. So it's all things Super Bowl probably for the first several, several minutes of the show. NBA trade deadline. All the experts say it's going to be a quiet NBA trade deadline. Well, if last Thursday was quiet, I would hate to find out how if what it would have been like had it been noisy. We're going to talk about that. A lot of things happened on NBA trade deadline Thursday. It's been a cold, cold winter for Major League Baseball free agents. And by that, I don't mean the weather. I mean the lack of activity of free agent signings. Um, until you, Darvish got signed by the Cubs yesterday. Does that open the floodgates, so to speak? Or does that open a spring forward, if you will, with uh, top Major League Baseball free agents like J.D. Martinez, for example, finally landing with teams after a winter that was anything but active in terms of signing these big-name free agents? We're going to talk about that. And to get ready for next NFL season, draft, we will go through – each team by division, it's corresponding division, each conference, beginning with the AFC East and the NFC East in this show, if there is time of what each team needs to do, either to return to the playoffs, go further in the playoffs, or win the Super Bowl next year. So whatever you did this year, we're going to help you figure out what you need to do next season to go to that seemingly elusive for some teams next level. So that's what we're going to get into here within the show. Um, Super Bowl 52. Leading up to it, well, the NBA was in the news a lot that week. Uh, we haven't been on in the last few weeks because of some issues with the uh, platform that we perform on that have been straightened out by our Radio AFS. By the way, this is a Radio AFS production. Go to RadioAFS.com. Check us out on Facebook, Radio AFS, or Facebook.com slash Radio AFS on Twitter as well, at Radio AFS. We're working very diligently to get our platform to allow us to produce a two-hour show that we like to do for you or whoever comes on, whether it be Dio Sports Radio, Political BS Radio, Niner Faithful Radio. They're all two-hour shows. They're all great shows here in the Radio AFS network. So we've seen you've gotten that straight now. So the NBA was in the news a lot during Super Bowl week, and it Leading up to a very quiet, kind of a quiet Super Bowl week. Opening night, uh, not a whole lot going on there. Um, And then Super Bowl 52 happened. And boy, what a game it was. Everyone and their mother knew that the Patriots were going to win. I picked them to win, and the over-under over 48. Well, they went well above 48, so that was good. But the Eagles ended up winning the game. How did they do that? How do you beat the Patriots and your name is not the New York Giants? Let me just offer a theory right off the bat. I don't think it's just the New York Giants that have a style that is very effective against the Patriots. I almost think 
that the Philadelphia Eagles kind of duplicated that style of the Super Bowl. At least they tried to get physical with the Patriots, to not back down against the Patriots. Now their defense only had one sack during the game. And we'll talk about that sack in a moment, because I know you know what I'm talking about. But they try to get physical with the Patriots in this game. Figure they follow the form of the Giants. Because when you think of the NFC East over the years, you think about the physical play of the defenses. You know, the Cowboys in the 90s, obviously more known for the offense, with Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, and, and, and Jay Novacek, and all those guys. But they had really, really great defenses with guys like Ken Norton Jr., Deion Sanders, and other guys that were all pro level. Um, and then you have the New York Giants. And when you think of the New York Giants, you always think about the defense. The Lawrence Taylor days, back then, you said the Bill Parcells. Obviously, when Michael Strahan was playing there with OCU Manura and, and I'm blanking out his name right now, the guy out of Notre Dame. Um, you know, when they have really great front sevens, that would allow them, that would allow them to uh, get physical with an offense that was seen as superior, like the Patriots with Tom Brady. And all the pieces there, whether it be Julian Edelman, Randy Moss, or Danny Armandola, or certainly Rob Gronkowski, who's the guy you had to contend with. Um, we have a caller on the line, actually. Let me go ahead and activate his mic here. The number ends in 7209. This is Steve Eskis of the Dyer Sports Radio Show. Who am I speaking with? Oh, hey, um, Steve, this is Hank. Oh, hey, Hank. What's going on, buddy? Did you want to make a comment on the Super Bowl? Good morning. Well, the only thing that on the Super Bowl I can say is I'm really happy for the city of Philadelphia to finally win one. Uh, I know they've been thirsty for a Super Bowl title. They they came close a couple of times, you know, went to about, you know, two, three Super Bowls, but never really got the title, so it's good for the city because uh, they were the only sports not to win a championship yet. And when I mean championship, I'm talking about Super Bowl. I know they won the NFL title back in the 60s, but, you know, um, this way they, they get the monkey off their backs. You know, it's interesting you talk about that. I was going to talk about this in a second. Is uh, happy for the city of Philadelphia because to play devil's advocate here for a moment, Hank, they're not the classiest and most gracious of fans. I have a friend who's a Giants fan, my buddy Jack, um, and you know he would often, you know, he often makes fun of Philadelphia fans as having the uh, as being very classy and gracious fans, which is said completely sarcastically. Uh, I can respect what they're saying, and I, I agree that uh, the fans definitely wanted, definitely wanted to see the team win the Super Bowl and probably deserved it in terms of their devotion. But I haven't been the most gracious. They haven't been the most gracious fans over the years. Heck, in the old um, in the old uh, stadium, they had a jail there specifically uh, for fans that would attend the games that would end up being thrown into those jails over there, uh, over there, over being mischievous and going a little bit too, going a little bit too far. So you're able to look past that to, you know, uh, to be, you're able to look past that to be happy for the fans uh, that the Eagles finally won a Super Bowl. How are you able to do that given, you know, the Philadelphia fans don't have a very good reputation to begin with? 
Well, being from Philadelphia, I can tell you right now, it's it's a very blue collar town, and yes. uh, fans are fast. fans are hard fans are fans are hard to 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 please. The one thing that mm-hmm. I was really unhappy about going back to the days when Mike Schmidt was still playing, he went yeah. through a slump, and fans booed Schmitty, and that was late in his career. And I go, this is a Hall of Famer. Look at what he had done to the city. Won the World Series, you know, multiple all-star appearances, gold gloves, MVPs, and they booed him. It's it's like, am I missing something? Well, they booed Santa Claus, too. And Santa Claus, Santa Claus never <laughs> dominated the any team. So I... I guess if you could boo Santa Claus, which is a completely make-believe character that does actually exist in this real life, except someone dressing up as Santa Claus, uh, you could boo just about anybody, including the great Mike Schmidt, who, you know, was a marvelous, marvelous baseball player, obviously, for the Phillies for a number of years, and a Hall of Famer at that. So I, I agree with you. You're happy for the fans of Philadelphia because they finally won one. That said, I hope that with this Super Bowl victory – that Philadelphia fans will learn to be a little more grateful and a little less blue-collar, so to speak. And by that, I mean not in terms of their work ethic, because obviously blue-collar work ethic is great, but maybe in terms of how they view their sports teams going forward now that they had a World Series title last decade with the Phillies and now a Super Bowl title with the Eagles, which I know means a lot more than that World Series title. And you have the Philadelphia, the 76ers over there. You know, they're developing a pretty good young team that they can build around. Potentially, they might be NBA champions again for the first time, you know, since 1983 uh, when Dr. J, Moses Malone, and Maurice Cheeks uh, led that team to a title over the Los Angeles Lakers. So, hopefully, this will show Philly fans, uh, you know, uh, Philly fans will show a lighter side uh, going forward. Um, you know, now that the Eagles have won the Super Bowl, which is what they really wanted, do you think that's possible, or do you think uh, it's not going to change? Well, Steve, first of all, first and foremost, Philadelphia is a hockey town. You know, that is the mm-hmm. number one passion. Uh, the Flyers are everything. Um, you know, well, when was the last the Flyers, time they won a Stanley Cup? It's been a while. Well, Flyers last time won the Stanley Cup was 1975. However, it was the first expansion team south of the border to win back-to-back Stanley Cups. They won in 74, won it against 75. In 76, went to the Stanley Cup championship against Montreal and got swept. Okay? So that, that was the craze that, that begun a tradition of hockey. Um, you know, back then, that was the, the LCB line, you know, the, 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 the Leech, Clark, and Barber. Um, it was, you know, the I don't know if you remember, the Hammer. I mean, you know, hockey, hockey was I, I'll be then, honest you with know. you. I am not a big-time hockey fan. So, anything mm-hmm. from the 70s regarding hockey, with the exception of yeah. Marcel Dion and Rodney Bachon of the LA Kings, when <laughs> they have the purple and gold uniforms that emulate uh, the Lakers when – you know, Jerry Buss yeah. acquired them in 1979. That's about all I remember. So anything else besides that, I'll be honest with you. I am 
Yeah, I am as about qualified for that as uh, as a baby is to sign loan documents. Put it that way. So, um, ah, but ah, go ah. ahead. No, but but I I, I think that I, I you know, going back to what you were talking about. I, I agree that the the culture probably taking a switch here because of the Eagles, and you know with this Super Bowl, hopefully you know the fans will become more humble. And uh, you know, appreciate what they had coming to them. Appreciate what the team had done, what the team had brought to the city, and and uh, and such. Um, tough fans. That's all I can tell you. You know, being from there, I know the fans. Fans are tough. Fans expect a lot. Oh, I know. And they're tough. They're yeah, they're tough in Boston. They're tough in DC as well. It's not the only one. It's just Philadelphia fans have gotten a little bit known to Roddy, probably because of that jail. You know, at the old stadium well, before Lincoln Financial Field came in. I mean, that's the only stadium in the country mm-hmm. that actually had a facility right. for incarceration. That's, <laughs> that tells you something, obviously, right. you know. So you could easily do the same thing in other towns, you know, around around Philadelphia, but they have it. So it's a little surprising. Anyway, yeah, great, great topic there. You know, at the same time we talk about the Philly, I have always have my – my saying in it, my opinion, and you know, being from there, live there, um, you know, it's, it's it's a mystique. That town is kind of a mystique of a town, you know. It's um, absolutely. It's well, wasn't uh, it's, that our uh, first nation's capital, you know, and then New York, well, and then uh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's near the dish cap. It's got a lot of history, but you know, at the same time, it's the poor man versions of New York, because mm-hmm. at the turn of the century. Those who migrate down to, to Philadelphia are majority from New York. New York was so dense, and the opportunities were getting smaller. So they were migrating south of New York looking for new opportunities. And the well, town has a very, very heavy Italian and Irish uh, community. Uh, but that's pretty much the, the two ethnicity that made up that town. So... You know, you can tell the Italians and the Irish are very, you know, hardworking, you know, people and really expect a lot of themselves. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. and that, that kind of care, that kind of carries, you know, the mentality carries over the decades. And, you know, these sports fans are born from, from that mentality, you know. Are. I've got my co-host actually calling in on the line now. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on here. Um, Hank, you're more than welcome uh, to take part in the discussions, if you wish, but I appreciate your perspective on uh, on Philadelphia. At the end of the day, passion is good, but you got to put some perspective with it, so hopefully this brings a level of perspective to, uh, to the Philadelphia fan base. I don't expect that it will because you are what you are. But... Um, and maybe the Flyers will win a Stanley Cup title again. I guess maybe when the Pittsburgh Penguins stop winning Stanley Cup titles because they've had a pretty good run of that lately, and I'm sure that does not please uh, Philadelphians at all. Um, but hopefully they can win another Stanley Cup title soon and maybe complete the uh, the sports dreams of the town now that they have their Super Bowl title in hand. When you have a town that's booed Santa Claus in the past and has booed players like Michael Irving getting <laughs> injured, 
I don't see very much of a culture changing. That team, that city has been what it has been for years, and that team is all, that city is always going to be the same. So I don't have a problem with Philly. Hey, Philly's cool with me. I like Philadelphia people. But uh, just in general, that's not going to change. That's like asking the New Yorker to go ahead and have a nice, have a good attitude in the morning time. Nine times out of ten, it's not going to happen. Well, they have a good attitude. Uh, you know, after you kind of chip the ice a little bit, you know, it's, uh, there's a series I'm watching on Netflix right now called Blue Blood that starts on Netflix telling about a family of uh, law enforcement people, officers, commissioners, and uh, district attorneys and and one of the characters, Will Estes, who plays a uh, patrol uh, a patrol officer, uh, said, you know, we're, we're tough at first, but we come around. You know, that's how I describe New Yorkers, and I kind of agree with that from my experience of living in New York and visiting New York as much as I have. Uh, they come around eventually, but sometimes it takes a little bit of time. So, and I suppose maybe the same thing you said about uh, the citizens of Philadelphia. So, Welcome to the show, Patrick. Glad to have you back. Hank, any other comments? Um, no, my fine. I mean, I think that you guys pretty much wrapped up that whole entire topic, and, you know, it's good to be back as well, too. It was a little under the weather previously, so something is going around with that flu. Flu season has kicked up something nasty. They released something pretty strong in the air this year, so. Yeah. That they uh, that they have. We're talking Super Bowl Fifty Two right now, and basically, let me ask you a question: Did the Patriots lose the Super Bowl, or did the Eagles win it? What would you say? Oh well, I mean, by far, you can see the game. I mean, the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. They, if Tom Brady would have been able to go ahead and complete that last final drive, we would be looking at the Patriots celebrating another Super Bowl. I mean. That's just the that's just a fact of the matter, you know. I mean they, they the the score was being run up on both sides. Both sides on defense weren't really able to do a lot of stops in the second half and Rock was pretty much unstoppable. And even on the last play of the game with the Hail Mary, you can see that they were pretty much like right in line to basically get the W. So I, I think this just has to go back to the Patriots and they them just fumbling this game, you know. The Eagles did a great job. Don't get me wrong; they they, they did a they had a, a, an amazing first half. But you know, just like Belichick always does, he readjusts. He's able to go ahead. You know, like I said, there was just a couple missed opportunities on their side. I think that's another reason why it took Tom Brady a minute to go ahead and release the statement because he realized that the game kind of fell on his shoulders. You know, I, I, I let me guess. You picked the Patriots to win the game, right? Um, I actually was rooting for the Eagles, and I actually thought that the Eagles well, were going to go ahead. Well, you were rooting for the Eagles, and a lot of people were. But objectively, take out the rooting interest. Objectively, who did you think was going to win the game? The Patriots. I right? mean, uh, uh, obviously, I think that was the general consensus right. with everyone. Right. But a lot of people wanted to see the Eagles win because they wanted to see the Patriots lose. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, kind of the old, yeah, I think the Patriots are going to win, but, God, I hope they lose. You know, that type of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, the only reason why I ask you that is because I'm going to say the Eagles won the game. Because winning games is about making plays when you have to. Uh, when I started the show, I mentioned the Eagles only had one sack in the game against Tom Brady. And that was a strip sack at the end. In a situation where Tom Brady has the ball, the Patriots are coming back, they have all the momentum. And everyone and their mother knows that Tom Brady's going to get the job done yet again. 
and then that strip sacks by uh, and that strip sack by Graham happens, and everyone's like, "What just happened?" Tom Brady was sacked. Not Tom Brady's fault. The pocket just closed in on him quickly. There was nothing he could do, and he threw for five hundred five yards. Hell, he outpassed Nick Foles in the game in terms of yardage. He threw for yeah. well, you know, one of the equivalent of five touch or a five football fields for God's sake. He did everything he could. But the Patriots' defense got ga- or got gashed. They had no running game to speak as, whereas Philadelphia did. So they made the play when they needed to play, when no one expected them to make it, and that was the game within a game. Whoever was going to beat the Patriots were going to have to beat the Patriots in a way that no one expected. That was the game right there. You know, it, 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 I mean, everyone talks about you, you leave till it's time on the clock for Tom Brady. You can't help that. I hate it when people say, you love too much time. I mean, how do you do that? Do you, okay, so you just go to the one-yard line and run three bad plays in a row and then put the ball in the end zone? No. You score when you can, and you have faith that your defense is going to get the job done. That's what it's all about, making plays when you have to. The whole you left too much time on the clock, to me, is absolute bogus. And when people say that, it's like, you know nothing about this game whatsoever. You know nothing about winning. You don't, you don't, know, you don't know anything from last Wednesday. That doesn't make any sense. That was the, if the Eagles were going to win that game, they were going to have to make a play against Tom Brady when everyone expected that Tom Brady would get the job done. And that's exactly what happened. But even before that, Doug Peterson, going forward on fourth down, taking a page out of Bill Belichick's philosophy of going for it. And we know Bill Belichick has gone for it in the path of fourth down sometimes when he's in his, when he's in his own end of the field, Right? He went for it. That happened, you know, the touchdown to Nick Foles on the trick play that was brilliantly executed. When Nick Foles was moving towards the right side of the line, it looked like he was giving the offensive line instruction, then the quick snap, and then the head up to the wide receiver, then the Nick Foles would look the ball into his hand. I mean, he looked like a wide receiver on that play. And ironically enough, on the play the Patriots ran trying to pass to Tom Brady, he wasn't able to come up with it because I think the pass was a little bit out of his reach. Uh, but also Tom Brady's not a wide receiver. Uh, but that's another story. And 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 Philly's running game was, I mean, this kid, Clement, my God, he was great in that game. And Garrett Blunt had a long touchdown run against his old friends uh, from New England. Philadelphia played to win that game, and that's exactly why they won. They made the plays when they needed to. They went for it on fourth down. They didn't back down. They didn't subscribe to conventional wisdom. They left too much time on the clock. Punt the ball, play the field position game. But what good is field position unless you turn it into touchdowns? And that's exactly what they did. 41 points against a Bill Belichick coach defense. Yeah, it's a defense that lacked a pass rush, a consistent pass rush. But it's still a defense that was playing much better in the last six weeks. And Philadelphia was able to gash it uh, pretty good uh, in the so Super Bowl. So I'm going to say Philadelphia won the game more than the Patriots lost it. That's my opinion. So you, I mean, good points. I mean, there are a lot of valid points, but you mean to tell me that little, that final drive, where the Patriots were, somewhat they had the ball back, and they were, if they would have went ahead and went down and scored a touchdown and got an extra point, that would have been the game that they would have tied up. You don't believe you're that talking about the very that? final drive on the hail mary or the drive before that? With the very time. final drive on the hail mary. Yeah. You mean to yeah. tell you mean well, to tell uh, me that. You mean to tell me that there wasn't a little bit of there wasn't a piece of you that was wondering whether or not Tom Brady was going to be the same way that they went ahead oh, and no, came no, back absolutely. last year I, against listen, Atlanta? If, 
No, I completely agree with you. If Tom Brady has the ball in his hands, he has a chance to make a play that is going to lead the Patriots to winning the game. Absolutely. And there was some that were talking about there should have been a pass interference calling that play. But do you really think the officials on a play like that are going to call pass interference? No, there's no way at all. Because as they talk about, officials should not determine the game. We're talking about the Patriots. But, yeah, did he have the play? Absolutely. It just didn't happen. Well, yeah, but usually, but typically, though, I mean, a lot of calls go in their favor as well. So, I mean, that Hail That's Mary could have easily been, long. You know, that Hail Mary could have easily gone their way. They get the yardage on there. Tom Brady throws Absolutely. another pass, and the next, the next thing you know, especially since Philadelphia was having huge problems guarding Gronk. They had no real question. They had real, no, really no answer for Gronk towards the second well, half. Well, his play in the third quarter was absolutely stellar. I mean, uh, you know, that at halftime, one of the things I was thinking is that when you get Gronk involved, you know, especially since Brandon Cooks went down, you lost the guy that could take off the cover of the defense. You got to get Gronk involved here, and they did in the third quarter. He had 69 yards in that quarter. He had a touchdown. You know, he was the Gronk that we've all come to know and love. And a lot of teams have trouble with Gronk, by the way, not just Philadelphia, for God's sakes. I mean, uh, you know, whenever you play a guy like Gronk, he's going to give lots of teams trouble, not just one team. Yeah, but I, I, I definitely do. I mean, I give the Eagles all the credit in the world, but I, I just, from my perspective and from what I saw in analyzing the game, I saw that the Patriots basically lost the game themselves. I mean, that was kind of their call on that for them to lose. So, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs that could have happened. And, I mean, as far as the offensive line was concerned, Brady was getting pressured the entire game. Philadelphia was, was causing a lot of ruckus. They weren't getting actual sacks. Well, you can see that there was right, some players. There nine hits on him. You know, they hit him nine times, you know, and a hit is not a sack. And then you hit him after he gets rid of the ball. So, yes. They were definitely getting to him, but um, <laughs> the one the one play that mattered was that strip sack by Brandon Graham. And um, you know when that happened, I know everyone and their mother was like, "No, that's not supposed to happen here. That's not the that's not the script." <laughs> you know, for yeah. Tom Brady to lose the ball on a potentially game winning drive. Yeah, somebody didn't realize that the check had already cleared and they can't hit Tom Brady. They got to let him go. So you know, it, it is. Oh it yeah, is. you can't hit Tom Brady at all. You can't hit you know, the Tom Brady rule. You can't hit him all. Well, Philadelphia did. And by the way, the, the the game was very clean. Very few turnovers. Very few penalties called. It was it was one of the cleaner Super Bowls you could ever see. You know, with a very physical defense of Philadelphia. And obviously, the Patriots been there a number of times before, so. It's a very clean game, actually. They allowed the players to determine it. Uh, one player that was not allowed to determine it, uh, to help determine uh, how the game would go, was Malcolm Butler. And I definitely want to get your opinion about this, Patrick. Yeah, he, um, I, was, I was just getting ready to ask you about that. So, yeah, let's let's go ahead and dive into it. Um, yeah. Malcolm, so, so I, he plays one special teams play and doesn't play on defense at all. Um you know, admittedly, he had a bad year, 90, nearly a 97 passer rating, which is, you know, up near 100. That's not a very good mark for a cornerback. Uh, but technically, he was your best uh, defensive back in the Super Bowl hero just three years ago against the Seattle Seahawks. So how do you view that whole situation? Um, I think Belichick is probably playing it into the game where he was, I mean, I, I think it might, maybe it might be personal. 
because of the, of the statements that came out and the allegations that came out against Malcolm Butler, saying that he basically violated some of the team rules and saying that there was a possibility as far as him missing scheduled uh, scheduled flight or a scheduled road trip. So, I mean, there was some allegations that Belichick came out and said that Malcolm Butler quickly denied and told him to go ahead and, and prove it to him. So I think there might be a little bit more turmoil, and there's been turmoil in that, in that Patriots locker room since, uh, since the departure of Garoppolo between Kraft, Brady, and Belichick himself. So, I mean, it seems like that might be spilling over into some players. I mean, obviously we see that with Malcolm Butler because if you have a player that violates a team rule or violates something in the game, or in, within the organization, and you're playing the biggest game of the year, you're playing the championship game, and you see that your your quarterbacks are getting torched on one side that he should be played, at some point in time you need to just throw him in the game. You need to give the guy an opportunity and a chance, especially when you know for a fact that he's, he's, good, he's been able to make plays previously. So I, I really don't know what Belichick was thinking, you know, lost faith in Malcolm Butler, and maybe Malcolm Butler could be on his way out. But when you have a guy that plays 90-plus percent throughout the entire year as your quarterback, regardless of the rule, 98% of the snaps he played in leading up to the Super Bowl. You have a guy that plays that much, that's somebody who has the ability to change a game possibly. And not only change the game, but also possibly go ahead and change the momentum as far as the size that they kept throwing to. I also saw Jeffries had a, an amazing game. And he, as did Nelson Aguilar. Changed. Nelson Aguilar was very productive as well. So, along with Zach Kurtz, I mean, the receiving core as a whole, you know, had a really, really good game against that secondary. And, and, that, and, and, looking, and looking at that happening, you have to wonder why Belichick made the decision not to play him. You know, so I, I think it may be personal. It might just be part of the ongoing drama and the soap opera series that we have with uh, with TV12 and, and the rest of the organization with Robert Kraft and Belichick. So we're gonna. It's, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason to see what happens, see who gets moved around. And for Tom Brady to step out and show support for Malcolm Butler, obviously he sees something there. So who knows? I mean, maybe maybe this is the last time we see Belichick coaching as a Patriot. Maybe this is maybe he has one more season and he walks away from it. Mm-hmm. I just know that with all the stuff that's going on, Belichick's not really able to run his run his team the way that he wants to because of the constant bickering that goes back and forth between him and the owner when it comes down to the players. And I could see this possibly being another thing, something else that gets spun out with. Malcolm Butler and Belichick going at one another, and with Tom Brady already showing his support, if Tom Brady shows his support, some, usually Robert Kraft is going to be right behind him to go ahead and say, "Yeah, Tom, you're right." So this could easily turn into another situation where it plays out in the media as far as them causing more of a ruckus and wondering whether or not Malcolm Butler is going to be let go or, or dropped in the off season. So we'll see, but yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And if I'm Malcolm Butler, if allegations like that are being told to me, that's not an organization that the to team will want to play for either. You know, so it, it, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll definitely see what happens. What did you think about the whole situation I'm, with TV? Well, I'm with, you, I'm with you on that. And, and here's the thing. We, we hear about Belichick, and, you know, a lot of times when you hear Bill Belichick, you think of the word perfection. Like everything he does turns to gold. 
You know, he figures things out. He, you know, no matter how good or bad his defense is, he figures out to get them uh, to get away. He figures out a way to have them play their best when they need to. Everything just seems to work out. But I think Bill Pelichick here screwed up in two ways. Number one, if you weren't going to play Malcolm Butler because he apparently violated team rules, either because he got to the Super Bowl a day late, missed opening night. Why not just suspend him and just announce it? It's what every other team does. Why can't you do the same? If you suspend him and you announce it ahead of time, then there's no discussion about this. And I know that when the, I know when the media has discussions like this about the Patriots, Bill Belichick doesn't like it. Well, he could have prevented it by just, you know what, he's not going to play in this game. And here's why, and that's it. Done. As, uh, you know, takes a few questions. He doesn't answer them, of course, because that's what he does. That's what he's known for. And just move on. So that's number one is suspend him if you're not going to play him, especially if you violated the team rule. It happens all the time. Number two is he hasn't provided a statement since the fact, which shows an arrogance on his part. You know, you got to give the media something. Listen, I, I, I'm as annoyed by the media as anybody. I mean, the media sometimes goes too far. Sometimes they manufacture a little bit too much. They create, they try to create controversy and scandal, like trying to tell us there's a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, which we'll talk about next. Is there a quarterback controversy there? Uh, but in the meantime, you know, you don't issue a statement after the fact. You don't announce beforehand that Malcolm Butler is not going to play because he violated a team rule or whatever it was, and you just let it stew and you let it simmer and you let it and you you let a mount you let a molehill become a mountain. You know, so Bill Belichick is not perfect. That's what we learned. Um, you're pointing out, you know, the potential issues between he, Crafter, Bear, and yeah, that Garoppolo trade was very very surprising because you already traded away to Kobe Brissett. You know, to the MS Colts, and he could potentially be a star in this league. He did pretty well with the Colts at times, despite their situation going on over there. Um, you know, and then you trade away Garoppolo for basically a song or a second-round pick, and it leaves the Niners back from the abyss of looking like they're going to be a two-win team to a six-win team and a team with a hell of a bright future. Um, so for a second-round pick, in which the Niners already had a bunch of picks in play already, so that wouldn't hurt them. So that something's going on there where now not the trifecta of Kraft, Belichick, and Brady may not be on the same page. And now Matt Patricia is on his way to Detroit to uh, to coach the Lions. Um, so I think Belichick screwed up in that he didn't suspend Butler for the game and announce it ahead of time for violating two goals. And then didn't issue a statement afterwards. But why not play Butler? Yes, he's smaller than those receivers. I get the whole matchup thing. But while he's not big, he's quick and potentially could have baited a receiver and possibly picked Nick Foles off. Because Nick Foles will throw a few picks every now and then. He's a guy that sometimes will make those oh, yeah. make into pockets that he shouldn't throw into. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's like the player, particularly at Lambeau Field. So why not put Butler in the game at some point to see if he can make a play or two for you? Because in that game, one or two plays could make the difference, a la the Brandon Graham sack on Tom Brady at a time of the game when you needed a big play. That's what Malcolm Butler could have bought you. So if you maybe you don't skate in the game, but you're going, to be some, uh, you're going to at some point utilize him in the game to make a play when you're going up against a team that was not afraid of you and that was playing to win. Simple as that.
Yeah. Great point. Great, definitely great point. And I mean, also to add on, I mean, even with the even with the whole suspension, I mean, most cases when players violate team rules, it's not a full game suspension. It might be a couple quarters. You know, or, uh, them, yeah, if you, if you, if, yeah, they don't start you for a half and you play in the second half, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of ways you could go about it. I'm, I mean, you want the you want to have the guys who have been out there consistently who are able to react and have the best ability to kind of put yourself in a winning position. You want the best guys out there. And I would think that Belichick would have enough common sense to know that he just may need Malcolm Butler in the long term. So why not just sit him for the first or the second quarter and then throw him in for the third quarter when you're going to go ahead and make your adjustments and make your changes? I think that would have been a perfect game plan. I think that would have been something that that would have been definitive for the game and, you know, could have maybe changed the results of it. But, you know, Belichick has that ego that he needs to go ahead and have fed and – the, the I think he might be on his way out. I mean, I think this is this is somewhat the oh, no the opening the, on his way out. Did you see the DeAndre Hopkins uh, tweet trying to recruit Mike uh, Butler no. to come down to Houston to join him on the Texans? There is no doubt oh, no, in my mind that Malcolm Butler is not coming back to the Patriots. I think it's mutually agreed that those uh, that both parties should split apart ways. Uh, he might head down to Houston, and it may not be a bad idea. Uh, to go down and dread a defense on a team that has DeAndre Hopkins on it, so we'll see. But uh, I don't think there's any question that uh, Malcolm Butler and New England, New England Patriots are on their way to a nasty divorce. Um, yep. With the round where Larry just, just very, very, and Tom Brady defending, you know, Malcolm Butler after the fact, um, not good. Meaning uh, Brady and Belichick may not be on the same page as far as how this whole situation was handled. Speaking of yep, situations your, and how they're handled, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, get your get your popcorn ready because it's gonna be a freak show going on as far as what happens with this team and the back and forth that we're gonna see. But go ahead. Well, I hope that freak show is like the Rocky Horror Picture Show because even though the movie's kind of stupid, it's always fun to participate as an audience member. So. You know, where they go back and Bill Belichick realizes the mistake. So, you know what? I will, uh, I'll, 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 I won't start Mark Ballin in this game, but I'll play him at some point just in case the Philadelphia receivers are having their way with my average ass quarterbacks, even though they're big. Oh, yeah, they're big. They're just not that good. But I digress. So maybe yeah. the time where I can go back to before the Super Bowl, Belichick realizes the average ways. Oh wait, that can't happen. There's no real time work in real life. Oh well. Um, speaking of time works and handling situations, Marco Butler, in my estimation, is definitely out of the Patriots. But we thought Josh McDaniel was going to be out as well. We thought he was on his way to Indianapolis to coach the Colts. Uh, commit was in place. Coordinators were hired. Coordinators were hired. Uh, coaches were hired by McDaniels. Yep. McDaniels decided that he wanted to stay in New England for stability reasons. Well, obviously, being a head coach in the NFL is not the most stable position, so I understand that. What I don't understand is, you know, how he uh, how he walked back. Um, his commitment to the uh, Colts like that after hiring coaches uh, to his staff in Indianapolis, and which Indianapolis is going to honor those contracts, by the way, which is very, very surprising. 
How do you view that whole situation? Do you agree with McDaniels? Do you think he should stay in New England as their offensive corner and maybe take over for Belichick, even though no assurance has been given for that? Or do you think he made the biggest mistake of his coaching career by accepting a job and then changing his mind in the manner that he did? Oh, no, no doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, he definitely he definitely made a mistake in taking this job and then going back on the position, especially when you've already started the process of adding people to the front office as far as it's concerned. You can't, you can't do stuff like that. He's basically tarnished his name, and he's banking on the Patriots to go ahead and give him the keys to the give him the keys to the car when Belichick leaves. And Belichick actually was on on file saying that he was going to go ahead and show him everything and let him into his world. I don't think that world is going to be very bright and very big, and I don't think he's going to get a whole spectrum of everything that Belichick has on his playbook and in his mind. So. I think he settled for fool's gold. I think that once you make a situation, once you make the choice to transition to another venture, you need to kind of stick it out and stay with your decision. Uh, and you know, kudos to the to the Colts organization for them to go ahead and, and honor those contracts and give those guys a legit shot. You know, hopefully the coach that they bring in is, is understanding of that and is able to acclimate those guys into the system because, you know, it, with the NFL. And with just being in sports in general, I mean, you, you're you're pretty much a military family. You know, you're moving from one city or one state to the next, depending on what the contract is and how your play is, and whether or not that that team and that organization is appreciative of your talents and your your uh, your wherewithal as far as what you bring to the table. So, you, you know, I, I, it's just a real snake move. It's a real dirty move. It's a terrible move for him. I, I don't know why you would do something like that, and it really tarnishes his name. So he's gonna, his career is gonna live and die in New England, point blank. So it's kind of he basically committed suicide as, in regards to this, and he's holding on to the hope that Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick are gonna do right by him. But you know, with that organization the way it's set up, you really can't tell what they're gonna give to you unless you're Tom Brady or somebody else that has been on that level of Tom Brady, which no one else has been because everybody else is expendable. You know, the Indianapolis Colts, you know, got the number one pick back in nineteen eighty eight to get Peyton Manning. And then they were able to get the number one pick to get Andrew Luck after Peyton Manning left to go to the Broncos. You know, it seems their luck has run out uh, with Josh McDaniel, you know, who was the prize head coaching prospect. Make no mistake about it. So many teams wanted to get him in for his innovative offensive uh, offensive system, along with the fact that he had prior head coaching experience, even though it wasn't the best experience, was with the Denver Broncos, and he drafted Tim Tebow in the first round, trying to look like a genius. In the beginning, it looked that way, but eventually it didn't work out, particularly when the Patriots beat down the Broncos in that divisional game. What was it, 45-10? to 10? Yeah, uh, it was year, a, terrible, but, a terrible game. Yeah, it was almost the most lopsided loss in playoff history. Uh, of the Niners, 55-10 rocking of the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 24 back uh, all the way back in 1990, if I remember correctly. So the most lopsided loss in the history of the Super Bowl, maybe in the history of the NFL playoffs, period. But anyways, um, I digress on that. But uh, the the big winner here is the Patriots because even though Josh McDaniel is now a certified flake and a guy that apparently wants to put the cart in front of the horse, that's hiring head co- hiring members of your staff and then turning around and changing your mind is essentially putting the cart in front of the horse. 
you're not going to get very far doing that. Um, so even though he's a certified flake and apparently not the smartest guy in the world, he's a hell of an offensive coordinator, and it's a huge win for the Patriots because the Patriots were looking at massive coaching turnover. They lose Patricia. Matt Patricia is the best coordinator. And I don't know how good Matt Patricia is because you saw what happened with Philadelphia with a backup quarterback in Nick Foles. So good defensively Matt Patricia is, actually, unless he has certain personnel that will fit his system. So we'll see how it does in Philadelphia. But uh, keeping Josh McDaniel, who, like I said, was the number one head coaching prospect of all of them, you know, of him, Matt Patricia, Pat Shermer is going to the Giants, um, and uh, other names I'm, I'm blanking on right now. But uh, Josh McDaniels was definitely the, uh, the big fish you know, in that head coaching prospect pool um, for New England to keep him. However way they did that is huge for them. But Josh McDaniels looks like a flake and a jerk and a dumbass <laughs> for handling it the way he did. If you don't hire, I mean, inside the contract, okay, fine. But you started hiring coaches, for God's sakes. And those coaches, their contracts are going to be honored by the end of this Colts, where who's going to be their head coach at this point? So the, the Colts love seemingly has run out after back-to-back number one picks to get their last two quarterbacks. And when you see how Chris Ballard handles it, I thought Chris Ballard's statement was great. He said, you move on. These things happen. And uh, publicly, it appears he's handling great. I'm sure he's fuming inside. Uh, but didn't show up publicly, so good for him. Uh, like Jackie Robinson, I showed up publicly his frustrations when he was heckled uh, by fans in Detroit and other places as he was breaking through in baseball, the first black fan to break through to the major leagues back in the 40s, 50s. Um, uh, Chris Ballard did a good job of publicly saying the right things. Um, but you got to feel bad for the Colts, and you've got to, you know, but you've got to say it's a win for the Patriots. You know, by all means, yeah. because Josh McDaniel say what you want about him. It's a great offensive coordinator, if nothing else. And, I mean, I think he's really just banking on the fact that he wants to be the head coach of that team. So, and with all this drama that's going on, maybe he sees that it could possibly potentially land in his lap a lot sooner than later. And we could maybe see the changing happen a lot sooner than what everybody's expected, especially with, Belichick just seeming like he's just frustrated with everything that's going on and losing control pretty much of his team. Well, where do the uh, Patriots go from here? You know, we know McDaniels will be back, I, and I think Belichick will absolutely be back because if he retires, it's almost like the media telling him to retire. You know, he's not going to do that. So I absolutely think he'll be back. He'll be back, and I expect Tom Brady to be back as well. So where do they go from here? Do you see them as contending for the Super Bowl next year to try to get back to the game for the third straight year, which I don't think has been done since the Buffalo Bills, maybe? You know, yeah, that's, that's a hard beat to pull off. I, I, but if anybody can do it, I mean, I don't doubt this Patriot team in any way, shape, or form. I mean, and it, 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 it's not only that, but with Edelman being out all season, he's going to be coming back. So that's another added piece for Tom Brady. That's true. Um, and Mandola had a big run during the playoffs. Really, really good. Brandon Cooks will be back, you know, if he's healthy. So this team is going to be stacked up pretty much. I mean, they're going to go ahead and get players, and they're going to get the ones that we think are probably at the end of their career, and they're going to go ahead and have a resurgence with them. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the draft because they're running they're, the running back position is something that they are pretty much probably the weakest position on that offense with Rex Burkhead kind of having a little bit of greatness here and there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see, but I would I would put a pretty good be- uh, guess to say that the Patriots are going to be able to go ahead and make another run towards the possible Super Bowl. I mean, the AFC right now, um, the strongest competition out there is my Jacksonville Jaguars. Whoop, whoop, yep, yep. They're going to be able to go ahead and make another another bid as far as trying to make it to the Super Bowl as well, too. Uh, Pittsburgh seems like they might be on their way on the out, especially if Le'Veon Bell keeps on taking uh, Instagram photos with Odell Beckham and changing his name. So we could see that break up right there, too. So I, I think that the, the Patriots are probably, even though they have a lot of turmoil going on within the office and within the locker room, they're still poised to be the most consistent team probably in the AFC coming into next season. So, I wouldn't doubt them to be able to make another playoff run to at least get to the AFC Championship, if not the Super Bowl. Maybe so. It's hard to bet against them. Uh, Lord knows. Uh, you know, in order to beat the Patriots, you got to beat them because generally they do not beat themselves. Um, we will see, but certainly, you know, with Brady and Belichick in play and some of the guys coming back from injury, like Julian Edelman, um, you know, obviously they need to improve the defense in terms of getting a consistent pass rush going, you know, because ever since Jamie Collins and Chandler Jones were let go, that pass rush has really suffered uh, when you let those guys uh, go to Cleveland and Arizona respectively. So they're going to have to work on that. And, yes, a running game uh, to protect Tom Brady as he gets older is definitely going to be in order as well. And a backup quarterback, for that matter, because I don't think they're going to keep Hoyer, um, you know, so they, they've got multiple needs they need to go right now if they want to make sure this team is as strong as it could possibly be defensively, offensively, um, and, uh, you know, having a backup for Tom Brady if, in case something happens. What do you From mean? Philadelphia... Ryan Hoyer is great. Ryan Hoyer is perfect. He's awesome. Didn't you see what he did for Oh, yeah. He holds, a, he, he, he holds a clipboard. He holds a clipboard steadier than any backup quarterback I've ever seen. I'll it's tell not you, a game. he does not. He does not flinch when it comes to doing that. Don't let him put on that it's headset. Great. He'll show you what that headset does. He'll show you. He'll let you know. <laughs> Fancy. So maybe maybe you could see maybe it could be a headset model. Um, the guy couldn't even be a the guy couldn't even be a the guy couldn't even be a quarterback coach. Uh, that's funny though. Um, speaking of quarterbacks. Um, is there a quarterback contract? Nick Foles obviously had a great game, not only throwing the ball, but catching it as well, you know, accounting for touchdowns both with his arms and with his hands. Uh, Carson Wentz obviously a serious knee injury and in only his second year, so uh, there's a lot of talk. But is there a quarterback controversy in your estimation in Philadelphia now that Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl? Absolutely not. I mean, come on now. We all looked at Nick. When we saw that Nick Foles was going to be taking over, I don't care what anybody says, nobody thought he was going to be able to do what he did. He did the impossible. Nick Foles, I mean, Grant, he, all the credit in the world. He got the Super Bowl. He worked to get it. He had a, he had a phenomenal playoff run by far. Great run. But there's no quarterback controversy in Pennsylvania. It's not. It's not happening. Philadelphia is all about wins. 
if Nick Foles, if there is going to be a quarterback controversy, it's going to be when Carson Wentz is going to be ready to return. Because I think that if they do go ahead and continue to keep Nick Foles on that roster, that gives them a chance and an opportunity to allow Carson Wentz to fully heal, which is a good idea. So if, let's say, two weeks into the preseason, Carson Wentz doesn't look like he's 100% ready, you can go into the season with Nick Foles and allow him to play maybe two, three games. And then once Wentz is actually in for, is 100% healthy, then you make the transition to adding Wentz into the mix and Nick Foles can go back to the bench and waiting and seeing if he's going to be able to go ahead and be needed. But quarterback controversy, absolutely not. I don't see it happening. Uh, Nick Foles has had his opportunities to go ahead and start previously, and he hasn't been able to do what he's been able to do with this year. So by by no means do I think that there is any type of controversy going on. I think it's just, it's just more of a question as to whenever we know Carson Wentz, when we'll find out when – Nick Foles gets bumped down to the bench and Carson gets back into the starting position. But this is the team, without a doubt. I mean, this, this Philadelphia team was cultivated off of him and built basically off of him. I, I don't think there's a quarterback controversy at all. And if I'm Nick Foles as well, too, I might try to go ahead and see if I can opt out to see if I can possibly go somewhere like Arizona or like Denver that needs a quarterback where he can actually go ahead and kind of write his own storybook and ride off in the sunset with maybe another team and maybe go ahead and turn them into a, a possible threat to run into the playoffs. But, no, there's no controversy. It's Carson Wentz all day. Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why there's no controversy. I looked at his 2016 numbers and 27 numbers – and 2017 numbers. His 2016 numbers, you know, he, he started the whole year, 16 touchdowns, a little under 3,800 yards. In 13 games this year, he had 33 touchdowns. He played less games, and he doubled his touchdown total from his rookie season to his second year and had just under 3,300 yards in that time. Nick Foles was great for a few games, and I know they were big games. I know people tend to overreact. Like, these are really big games. They're all big games in the NFL. Some games are bigger than others like the Super Bowl and the Conference Championship and all that, but they're all big games because there's so few of them. 20 games, yeah. you know, up to 20 games you'll play in a season. That's it. And Nick Foles was good for a few of them. If you start him all season long, I'm not sure the Philadelphia Eagles have the same level of success. It was Carson Wentz that got him to a certain point, and then he got hurt, and Nick Foles came in and basically finished off well, Carson Wentz has started, but to double your touchdown total and to, and he would have probably finished with about 4,000 yards and to be able to play the whole season. You know, at that point you need about 700 yards over three games. That's, that's what, 225 yards a game, whatever it is. Uh, probably would have hit the 4,000 yard mark, got a pretty damn close to it, exceeded his yardage total from his rookie year. He'd already exceeded his touchdown total. And he was above 60% passing. And then they say in the NFL these days, a quarterback needs to be at 60% accuracy or better. He was. Uh, he was at 60.2 this year. He was at 61.7 in his rookie year. That's probably only going to get better. There is no quarterback controversy in Philly. He absolutely should be the starter. But I will say this. Philadelphia is in a great situation right now because Nick Foles is under contract next year, and if Woods is not ready for the beginning of the season, you could start Foles knowing that he is good for a few games at a time. 
Yeah. And then Wentz can come back in and you go from there. So I think it's a great situation for Philadelphia. Uh, maybe not as great for Nick Foles, but Nick Foles has the Super Bowl championship. And if he leaves, someone's going to give him a, a deal. And he's going to be a starter somewhere. He has earned that opportunity. Maybe not in Philadelphia, but somewhere else. So uh, Nick Foles will reap the benefits of it, certainly in terms of an opportunity to start and getting a nice little contract when people look at this run and say he was a big reason why they were able to pull it off. And he was, along with the coaching he got. This is why I think Frank Reich should be looked at uh, by Indianapolis. I think he's a great head coaching prospect. Uh, and I think he did a great, great job of uh, coordinating an offense around Nick Foles' strength, uh, in which Nick Foles only had to go out there. All he had to do was go out there and get the job done. So I think Frank Reich uh, was the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles and a former Buffalo Bills backup quarterback to Jim Kelly, um, you know, deserves an opportunity uh, to maybe be a head coach, maybe with the Colts. So I think they should give him a look. Uh, yeah, their next that, head coach, Mike Daniels, uh, changed his mind. So um, he became a star, so to speak. Um, so it's a good situation for Philadelphia. We will see what they do uh, with him. Do you think Philadelphia can sustain this run? Do you think they could go on a uh, dynastic run? Uh, the Patriots having a really good defense in place, albeit a secondary, they could probably use some improvement. But having an offense in place with a really, really good quarterback, some pretty good running backs, the guys like Jay and and a very good receiving core, and a very good offensive line, too. That was missing Jason Peters, by the way, who's one of the best tackles in football. They didn't have him for this playoff run. They still won anyways. So yeah. how good do you think this Philadelphia team could be over the next, say, three years? They're going to be good, but one thing that they're going to have to realize is that uh, one thing that we're, we're missing from this whole entire thought process of Philadelphia being this possible great team and, and early talks about them maybe being able to form a dynasty is the fact that they play in the NFC East. And yeah. the NFC East is stacked up. And even even though the Giants looked terrible and they were riddled with injuries last year and terrible coaching decisions, you can't rule that team out. That team can make an acquisition for maybe one or two players, and they're going to be a really tough team to beat. And not to mention that monster that's over there in Dallas where they didn't have Zeke Elliott for most of the year because, like an idiot, they went ahead and kept filing for an appeal when if he would have just taken the four games, especially initially, we might be having a different conversation because that Philadelphia Eagle team and that Dallas Cowboy team is going to be a real rivalry just like it used to be, especially if the Dallas Cowboys have Sean Lee back in the mix and he's healthy. So is it too early to talk about them being able to run the gauntlet and being able to turn themselves into a perennial playoff team year in and year out? Uh, Playoff team, yeah. Super Bowl team, eh, I'm going to hold my breath on that one just because of the simple fact that there's so many different movie pieces that are going to be going on for the NFC. You, you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, we we see the rise of Minnesota, but we also got to realize that Aaron Rodgers is out for most of the year and he didn't have very many targets. So there are so many different teams that are on the bubble of the NFC. It's going to be very difficult for Philadelphia to make a run and make a legitimately good run towards them getting back to the Super Bowl. You know, and, and I mean, even looking at it to this game, even looking at it to this game right now, Philadelphia shouldn't, even, shouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl due to the fact that Julio Jones missed one catch. Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons were already pushing down the field during their, I think it was the conference championship. Yeah, it was the conference. It was, no, it was the divisional. 
During the no, divisional when Atlanta, yeah, during during the divisional when when Atlanta was playing the Philadelphia Eagles, Atlanta had them already on their skates. They were backpedaling all day. They were already driving. Matty Ice delivered a perfectly perfectly thrown uh, perfectly thrown ball that Julio typically would come up with. It just went through his hands. You have that play go differently. Philadelphia is out, and then who's going to be the who's going to be the representative for the NFC as far as the Super Bowl is concerned at that level? You know, same thing what happened with uh, New Orleans and Minnesota, with New Orleans basically having that game locked up, and on a fluke pass to, to, to Stephon Diggs, one missed tackle turned into a touchdown, turns into Minnesota being able to go ahead and advanced. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of movie pieces that are going on in the NFC. So it's way too difficult to really say that Philadelphia has a legitimately really strong shot at making it into the Super Bowl because there's a lot of other teams that can easily make that claim. But what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, luck is a part of it. As you indicated, luck is a part of it. And, uh, you know, Minnesota caught some breaks. Philadelphia caught some breaks as well. Uh, but they also made plays where they needed to. Uh, so luck is a part of it. Obviously, intestinal fortitude, the desire to do it, because you know, once you've done it once, you know, it's human nature to maybe lose your desire just a little bit. Um, obviously, health. You know, can they stay healthy enough? Um, you know, with their with their <clears throat> with their key pieces. So uh, I think Philadelphia's got the most complete team in the NFC right now, in my opinion. Well, will they have the intention of 42? Will they stay healthy? And, uh, you know, will they be able to hold off the other teams? They're going to build teams around that's going to beat them, you know, including the Green Bay Packers and, um, and the uh, Minnesota Vikings and the uh, Detroit Lions. And, and uh, yeah, and the NFC East, obviously, is a different beast, as, as you talked about. I mean, there's been a different division in that division the last three years, either Giants, Cowboys, or Eagles. So, I don't remember the last time a team appeared as division champions in that division, so that's a whole beast, all of the beasts that they have to deal with. So uh, we will see. But I believe they have the most complete team in the NFC right now, and I believe they are more than capable of getting back to the Super Bowl next year and winning it. Will they do it? We'll see. Um, because as you pointed out, there's a little bit of luck involved. There's a whole lot of teams that are very deep and competitive NFC they're going to be trying to knock Philadelphia off. Should be fun to watch. Um, yes, indeed. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, you mentioned Detroit. I think that was a mistake, right? Cause Detroit, really? What, what, have, what have they done lately? Uh, Detroit. Detroit. 3-0 last year, then they kind of faded towards the end. I, I, that's a team with a lot of talent. I, I wouldn't even try to Detroit. I just, you know, that's a team with a lot of talent, but if they get good coaching over there, and we'll see what Patricia and his staff can do, uh, that could make a difference. There's no doubt it's a talented team, but maybe it needs uh, good coaching uh, to get them back into the playoffs and then see what they can do. So I wouldn't, I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender, no. <laughs> but could they get to the playoffs next year? I think they could if they get the coaching and have the talent. In my opinion, you're so. crazy. You're crazy. That is, you, what are you, whatever you're drinking. That doesn't this morning, mean that please I'm wrong. Go ahead. Let me. I, whatever you're drinking this morning, let me know so I can go ahead and have some of that on Monday morning, so I can have this crazy outlook that you have on something that could possibly not ever happen. Detroit is a cesspool right now. They're not going to be able to get anything going. 
Until you unload some of that contract. If you're talking about the automotive industry, I would agree with you. The only problem is the Lions do not make cars. They play football. Remember that. Okay, this isn't the automotive industry or, or Motown music, for that matter. Hey, Chrysler made a comeback, so it's all good. Chrysler made a comeback, and I drive a Jeep to this day right now, so that's okay. I get that part of it, but the fact yeah. is that Detroit is just not, no, not at all. Detroit has... Hey, Detroit's like Philadelphia, Detroit's like Philadelphia in a lot of different ways. Blue collar, what? you know, high desire for the Cincinnati. The Pistons are about to move into a new downtown arena. They traded for Blake Griffin, so they have that downtown arena, you know, filled up uh, with fans that will see exciting play. Maybe not high-level playoff basketball, but sure they exciting play from a guy that can jump out of the gym when he's healthy. So, yeah, I not a lot of expectations. There's not a lot of expectations on them. Not a lot of people believe. Clearly, you don't. I think they have enough talent to get to the playoffs next year if they're well coached. Um, and, and we'll see. I mean, look what Jim Caldwell was able to do. So, uh, so I, I, I don't think he just got the playoff chances. But there's no expectations on them right now. We see teams with no expectations just kind of go out there and just play and just kind of let it all hang on the field. So, you know, no pressure yeah, on the Lions at this point. It's probably more pressure on be, the Tigers. Dude. They're not that good either. Yeah, or maybe even the Pistons right now too, with them hanging in the ninth. I think they're still ninth in the standings right now. Hey, if the Pistons are good, then people are pissed on them. You know what I mean? But anyways, I digress. Um, you can chew on that one during the break here because we're going to take a little bit of break so I can put my tongue on ice. I'm going to give you a chance to put your tongue on ice too. When we come back, we're going to get into the NBA. Um, a lot of stuff going on in the NBA. Cleveland wasn't going to the finals before the trade. Now LeBron's going to stay uh, because the team got younger, better, and all this stuff. Um, the Lakers, uh, teams that maybe should have made moves that didn't make moves and uh, yep. might pay the price for it later on this year. There's also Major League Baseball. Um you go to sign with the Cubs as it opened up the floodgates for other big name free agents <laughs> to finally sign deals after a very, very, very cold winter to the Major League Baseball free agent class of 2018. We're going to get into all that after the break. Uh, in the meantime, for a break song, I think this is a good one. Can't Stop Us uh, for the next about four minutes. Go ahead and enjoy Can't Stop Us. We'll be right back on the Dallas Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS. I'm Steve Edsquitz, my co-host, Patrick Johanna. Don't go anywhere. Step one, step two We wanted this from the start So we're coming through In your street 
streets, bringing that hardcore beat, making that movement from under your feet, from always something new, hate is what you're gonna do, you're gonna look stupid on what you tried to prove, because we're pumped in on your block, sitting out here my mess when we're ready to drop, yeah, you can't stop us, we're unstoppable, you can't stop us, bro, we're unstoppable, you can't stop us, we're unstoppable, it's our mission and we're ready to rock, yeah, you can't stop us, we're unstoppable, you can't we're unstoppable, you can't stop us, we're unstoppable Forward momentum and we ain't gonna stop Cause I buy me an addict, cause that forward momentum I gotta have it, have at it Not half a screw, that's the next bend Ten times bro, gotta grab it By the scruff of the neck, ring it out End up as a wreck, work it out Gotta keep it in check, sing it out that's the name of the game, that's what life's about To reflect with the best of them That's what you like to call life test, I guess When you cry, when you press, I said That's what I like to call life test, your mesh Ah, what a sesh But if you still see rain, then you need to digest What I put in your brain like a pill It'll make you insane unless you kill What puts you here? Who do you think you are? You're the highest man here? Well, that's a start Look around Take it in, we take it all Now sit back, watch begin You can't stop us, we're unstoppable You can't stop us, bro, we're unstoppable You can't stop us, we're unstoppable It's our mission and we're ready to rock, yeah You can't stop us, we're unstoppable You can't stop us, bro, we're unstoppable You can't stop us, we're unstoppable Forward momentum and we ain't gonna stop Run this town like Jay-Z and Kanye, me and Pablo, doing it the only way. The temptation, we're firing our eyes. Getting closer to that one true prize from the honesty of a hip-hop prodigy. I keep telling myself, nothing's gonna stop me for that dream to make it come true. That's why we speak the truth in the booth. Yeah, we speak truth, call us the criers. We sing loudly, so call us the choir. Me and Muggsy, born in the fire. No pen and pen, yeah, that's all we require. In the booth, to speak truth. And the crowd to rock, raise your hands to the roof. You can't stop us now, to turn up the track. Let's hear it loud, yeah. You can't stop us, we're unstoppable. You can't stop us, bro, we're unstoppable. You can't stop us. We're unstoppable. It's our mission and we're ready to rock, yeah. You can't stop us. We're unstoppable. You can't stop us, bro. We're unstoppable. You can't stop us. We're unstoppable. Forward momentum and we ain't gonna stop. Welcome back to the Dallas Sports Radio Show, everybody. My name is Steve Edsquist. My co-host, Patrick Duhaney. We've had a hell of a yeah, show yeah. so far. We're talking all things Super Bowl. But like I said, you know, before the Super Bowl, and we've been on for a couple of weeks, there were there were there was a trade made in which the Clippers turned away Blake Griffin to the Detroit Pistons, um, one of their stars, and one of the reasons why Lob City was just a thing in the NBA over the past five years. Well, Chris Paul leaves for Houston before the season began, and now Blake Griffin is out. So. They tried to trade DeAndre Jordan. They didn't get any, any kind of a package that they wanted to trade him away, and they signed the Williams to a three-year contract extension, um, which is interesting. So with the move the Clippers made to trade Blake Griffin, Patrick, but not being able to get rid of DeAndre Jordan, who could opt out this summer, he believes he can get a better deal. 
and extending Lou Williams for three years. What does that say about what the Clippers are trying to accomplish in L.A.? Uh, well, first and foremost, I mean, that trade that happened between Blake Griffin with the Pistons and the Clippers, I think that was a good trade. I mean, I think that was something that they were able to do to go ahead and not only get some of the salary cap off of them with Blake's huge contract, but you're also getting two quality players in Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris, who has been a budding star since he was in, I think, I believe he was started in Orlando. So, I mean, that's a pretty good situation and switch up that they have now. So I, I personally was one that I was a fan of the train. I mean, as as great as Lake Griffin has been in the past as far as the Blob City and all that, and the problem really, I think, came from the locker room. And I think that when you have a personality that doesn't mesh well in the locker room, and I think Blake might have been that person, you're not really going to have a good team that's able to kind of have a good repertoire with one another. I mean, we saw the whole incident that he had with the training staff where he kind of hit him and, there was a, a possible a potential lawsuit on that. So, I mean, getting rid of Blake, I think, was one of the better situations and changes that the Clippers have done in a while. Um, Lou Williams, of course, is having a crazy, phenomenal year so far. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I was actually surprised that they didn't try to package him and DeAndre Jordan in a, in a deal to try to get somebody else. You know, I, I wouldn't have been a fan of that too much because I'm a big fan. I, I do like Lou Williams. But um, nobody's going to pick up DeAndre Jordan's contract, and I don't. I think that's the one thing that they really understand now. So rather than them trying to offload him, they need to start building pieces around what they currently have with Lou Williams, and I think that that's what they may be going towards, is maybe trying to go ahead and, and create a younger team that can compete on the level with all the other teams in the league. Because, I mean, the Clippers right now are hanging on by a thread as far as trying to limp into the playoffs. And we'll see what happens with the All-Star break, whether or not they're able to. But definitely it was a good pick in my eyes as far as letting Blake go. And Blake might be able to go ahead and help this team out, but it's going to be an interesting dynamic with Drummond and Blake and to see how they play off of one another down there. But we're in Detroit. I think it's, um, you know, you aren't going to win a championship with Blake Griffin as your, uh, as your lead key piece. And you had the deal, the $175 million deal that you paid him. Now you get that contract off the books. And you might get DeAndre Jordan off the books as well. Although if I'm DeAndre Jordan, I do not opt out because I don't think he's going to get more than the $25 million he's scheduled to get next year. I just don't think you're going to pay a guy more than that, especially a guy who's limited offensively, no matter how good he is defensively or on the boards and catching lob passes, certainly. But, um if he opts out of his deal, think he get more. I think he's going to absolutely regret that. Um, so I wouldn't opt out of DeAndre Jordan and force the Clippers to eventually trade you if someone will absorb that salary somehow. Um, there might be a team willing to do it. Lord knows. Hey, the Nets were able to willing to absorb the Timothy Mosgott contract. You're right, recall. So the Clippers could pull it off, uh, but nonetheless, DeAndre Jordan should force a trade as opposed to opting out thinking he could get more money. But you get Blake Griffin's contract off the books. Tobias Harris is a really, really good shooter, and you have him for a couple of years. And they could re-sign Avery Bradley, kind of a 3-and-D guy, a guy that plays tough defensively and can shoot some threes for you. We'll see if he wants to stay. I'm not sure he's going to want to uh, stay uh, in L.A. He might want to go somewhere else. But if the Clippers can keep him uh, and, you know, potentially, and you free up some cash space, the Clippers could potentially be a player 
in free agency this offseason and next offseason when you're going to have a number of guys available uh, that the Clippers are going to go after. So it's a good move to create flexibility. They still have a pretty competitive team, a deeper team now. Uh, for Detroit, it's all about getting people to show up to that arena and selling tickets. Blake Griffin will help you do that. So I think it's a good move for both teams in that the move, you know, helped each team to accomplish what it wanted. The Clippers wanted flexibility and depth, and Detroit wanted to add entertainment value to their team to get people to show up to the arena. Certainly Blake Griffin will do that. So I think it's a good deal for both teams. Um, yeah. Then we get to NBA trade deadline Thursday where the Cleveland Cavaliers basically traded half their roster. Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye go to the Lakers with expiring deals at the end of the season. Dwayne Wade is back in Miami. Oh, what a surprise that is. Um, And Iman Shumpert uh, goes to Utah, I want to say. No, he went to the Kings. He went to the Kings. Okay. Oh, that's right. There was a three-team trade between the Kings, Cleveland, Utah. Um, and who else? Uh, Derek Rose went to Utah. Derek went Jay Crowder. Uh, did he yeah. go to Utah or did he go to Sacramento? He went to Utah. Yeah, and Derek Utah, Rose. Utah. Yeah, Derek Rose, went to, Derek Rose and Jay Crowder went to the Jazz. And then in and that Derek deal, Rose the Kings has got been released. Yeah. And then with the Kings, the Kings got Joe Johnson and Amon Shepard in a uh, 2020 second round pick. And then the Cavaliers were able to load up. uh, Joe Johnson is going to get cut by the Kings, and allegedly he's going to sign with Houston once that process is. They're going to waive Joe Johnson, and he will sign with Houston once that process is is complete. George Hill, Rodney Hood uh, head to to Cleveland. Yeah. Um, you know, LeBron James was definitely leaving before uh, the trade, and now there are those that think that he will stay now that the, now that the Cavs team is younger. Are you buying that? <laughs> LeBron is going to do whatever he wants. And it's just amazing how we keep going back and forth. <laughs> on this. Like, is he staying? Is he going? Why don't you just say you have no idea whatsoever? Because that's the truth. I have no idea whether he's staying or going. You know, they've been talking about LeBron's free agency all season long, and the one thing I stand on is that, I'm sorry, do we do free agency during the regular season? No. Why are we talking about this so much when we have no idea what's going to happen? The story this is, is beyond, I mean, the story is beyond play. We don't know what's going to happen is, until free agency actually begins on July 1st. So why do we keep going back and forth on this? This is the problem with the league right now is the fact that no team, no player stays on the team strictly for the fans and strictly for the, the game in general. The, the the thought process is you want to get paid or you want to get the most amount of money or do you want to go ahead and chase a ring? And if a team is set up where they don't have the ability to chase the ring, players nine times out of ten are willing to leave and go chase the money and, and – with the free agency being such a major thing now, these teams, these, these players are just all about trying to cash in and get what they can. And, I mean, it's a business, so I understand that part of it. But, you know, a great player like LeBron, if he was, let's say, if he changed the era in time, if he grew up and if he was playing ball in the 90s, a player like LeBron going from one team to the next to the next would be frowned upon the entire – nobody would care for him. 
nobody would care for him. They would see the greatness in, in what he can do, but nobody would really look at this guy as a consistent player that you can rely on due to the fact that he's inconsistent every single time that things aren't going his way. And granted, you have other players like Kobe. Kobe complained and he wanted help and he got help. So, I mean, let's not go ahead and fully knock down LeBron James for, you know, crying about asking for help. But the thing about asking for help is that when you get help, that means that you stay. And we already know LeBron James is not going to stay in Cleveland. LeBron James is is possibly going to come to L.A. There's a huge possibility that, you know, with the cap space that the Lakers freed up, that they're going to go ahead and chase after LeBron, and they're going to chase after Paul George, so that way LeBron has the, the, the person on the side of him that can go ahead and hold his hand, which is something that he's requested, that he doesn't want to go to a team that doesn't have another star which, you know, to me, is, is it, just puts an, it just puts an asterisk to all the great stats that he's been able to accomplish over his career. Because he says things and he does things like this that just takes away from the greatness that he could possibly be and what he has been able to do for the league. So, you know, LeBron's not saying. LeBron's not saying. You can tell through his body language in the games. You, can, you know, I mean, I've already seen some games that he's been kind of just – uh, just not really there, not really fully engaged. And, you know, at the end of the season, I fully I fully believe that he's going to be in L.A. I fully believe he's going to either be in L.A. or he's going to go to another big market where he's going to actually go ahead and play with another superstar to chase another ring. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, do you think that this, do you think that LeBron is going to stay in Cleveland with the added pieces of George well, Clarkson? Well, it depends, and, on, it depends on who I listen to. I mean, I'm not an insider by any stretch. I, I, I don't know why he would want to stay in Cleveland, given that it's documented that he just he and Dan Gilbert just don't get along with each other. And, and, and you know, that's the owner of the team. And, you know, they pulled the move. Well, we we made all these moves for you. Now you can get. Now you got to get the job done. You know, it just seems to be a game of one up machine where LeBron does at management during a team meeting, and now team management turns around and says, "Okay, we made all these deals for you. Now go out and get it done." Uh, it just seems to uh, be a battle of one upmanship, you know, between the two parties. So I, I don't see him. I don't see him staying in Cleveland. Although I'm not sure because now it, it's just. You know, no one really knows what he's going to do. And I just wish that people, you know, who are so-called experts would admit that. We know where he could go. He could go to the Lakers. And we'll talk about them in a second. He could go to Houston. Uh, he could go to the Knicks. You know, he could, go, he could go back to Miami. I mean, there's all these possible places. And no one really knows where he's going to end up. I just think right now to talk about this stuff as much as you guys a little bit premature. I mean, you know, teams can't talk to these players to the see though, as it's considered tampering. And Magic Johnson just got hit with a $500,000 uh, or $50,000 penalty uh, for Magic Johnson talking yeah. about Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, being a great which player, he doesn't even walk into a championship. So, uh, I yeah, which is ridiculous. For the media to talk about LeBron's free agency now before he actually becomes a free agent officially, to me, is akin to tampering. I mean, I just – no one knows what he's going to do. And to me, all the discussion at this point about something that isn't occurring as of yet, we're not at that point in the season as of yet, uh, to me, just tell us you don't know where he's going to go. Because I have no yep. idea whether he's going to stay or go. I suspect he's going to leave Cleveland, but I could be wrong about that. 
you know, just, uh, just, it's just dizzy. He's trying to keep up. Like, he's leaving before the trade. Now he's going to stay because now the team got younger. They'll have better chemistry, blah, 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 blah. So what? I just, I'm just, you know what? To be honest with you, I am sick and tired of all this LeBron free agency talks. I'm just over it, you know. But do I think he's going to stay in Cleveland? No, I don't. Do I think he could end up in L.A.? Yes, but he could also end up in Houston, too. If you want to win next year, I'm not sure you go to the Lakers. But if you want to help the team get to a championship level, then yes, coming to the Lakers would make sense. But if you're trying to win a title next season, I'm not sure the Lakers are your best option, and that's all I've got to say about that. Uh, well, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll go back into that when we start talking about the Lakers, but I wouldn't be so so quick to say that if LeBron does come to the Lakers and if they go ahead and package a deal with, with Paul George, that that team can't make a playoff run and possibly make it to the championship. I can't, I, I, I can't see that not happening due to the fact that the Lakers are kind of that organization that's willing to do whatever it takes as far as adding players and adding pieces there. So, I wouldn't be so quick to go ahead and doubt them as far as, a, as being a playoff team and being a team that could possibly make a run at the championship, especially when you look at the culture that's in Houston right now. If he was to sign with Houston, his career would definitely take a hit, and he probably would shorten it with the way that Dan Tony does his coaching style. So I, I wouldn't. I don't see. I don't see LeBron going to Houston as a positive thing for him. I think that would be more so him kind of basically speeding up the clock on his retirement because you see what Dan Tony did to Kobe. Dan Tony is the exact is is a hundred percent to blame for the fact of Kobe's career coming to an end and having to deal with those two injuries that came up. At least in my eyes, I mean the Dan Tony offense and the way that he wants you to play and then the way he wants you to practice is strictly on running and. You know, studies show that, you. I mean, cardio is great, but you running constantly all day, every day is only going to have more wear and tear on your body, especially as you get older. So, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Dan Tony. Uh, I'm not a fan of his coaching. It's, it's just not for me. But I, I think if LeBron was to go ahead and sign with Houston, even though there's so much talent over there, him running the floor day in and day out and night in and night out, that's. I think that would be almost career suicide. So. But um, yeah. But going going back to the whole on the whole entire NBA trade, though, I I definitely think that we are caught our free agency. I definitely think that we have already been acclimated to this carousel that constantly goes on. Ever since LeBron made the announcement and ESPN dragged this the whole entire response out, we've had this consistently every single year about free agency, who's going where, who's doing what, and my previous from my previous knowledge. Free agency, it was a big deal, but nowhere near the magnitude of what it is now. You know, no, nowhere near now with the with the trade deadline and how this goes on. Nowhere near how everything. I mean, I remember in the off season, free agency was something to watch, and trade deadlines were something to watch. But it seems like it's blown up times today that everything is televised, and and the amount of publicity that comes into play with us always questioning where LeBron James is going and what he's doing and whatnot, and. It's all because of him initially when he left Cleveland, you know. And I think that's going to be the, this not it's not going to be something that's ever going to go away until LeBron James retires. We're going to constantly hear about this: where is he going? What is he doing? Because he's he's a journeyman. He's a journeyman, and he's not a journeyman in the sense of the case where he's quiet about it. It's all it's out there, and it's loud and it's proud. So 
you know, where where is he going to go for free agency? I say still the Lakers is probably going to be – even the Clippers might be a landing spot for him due to the fact that they can pretty much sign the same contract that he would get with the Lakers. But, you know, LeBron, I think, would even fit well in New York. I would love to see him in New York. I think that would be great. See, see him in New York with maybe possibly another star. Um, I think that would work out very well for him. I think that that would be something that would be in his favor, and that could be something that he can kind of go ahead and hang his hat on. Like, I not only bought a championship at Cleveland, but I also went ahead and took the terrible Knicks out of the garbage can, cleaned them up, got them buffed and polished, and now they're worth, you know, such and such. You know, like, I, I can see that possibly being something that he may want to do, but then again, it's very hard to, see, to tell what LeBron's going to do. It's hard to tell what any man is going to do when it comes to their career path and what they can do or where they can go, especially when they have that type of um, that that type of clout to do whatever they want to, so we'll we'll see. But what do you think as far as in regards to the Laker deal that that came up with um, with Nance and Clarkson being gone down to Cleveland? Well, let me uh, let me respond to what you said about D'Antoni. Um, that's actually something the Lakers can use. Because while D'Antoni will get his team into the playoffs and runs a style of basketball that I think a lot of players like, uh, run up and down, shoot the ball, you know, it's a fun offense to play in if you're a player, particularly in how the NBA does business today. That said, come playoff time, that's usually when D'Antoni teams get exposed because they're not quite as good defensively and they're going up against teams that are above average defensively that can slow down the Rockets or D'Antonico's team just enough to affect how they play at both ends of the court. Uh, so that's something the Lakers could certainly use because um, Luke Wall knows what it's like to win a as a player and as an assistant coach, so he knows the value of defense as much as anybody. Get that across maybe a little better than Mike D'Antoni can. So we will see. That's certainly uh, the as the Lakers have, um, you know, understanding the importance of defense when it comes to winning championships, along with the ability to put the ball in the hole. You have to do both. You have to outscore your opponent, but you have to stop your opponent from outscoring from outscoring you as well. So they're both important. Um, and in terms of the Lakers deal, um, you hate. I knew Jordan Clarkson was going to be traded. I'm fine with that. Jordan Clarkson is a very nice player. Basically, Isaiah Thomas and Jordan Clarkson are a very similar player. They're guys that want to shoot. They're not playmakers. I mean, yeah, you're going to get some assists on them every now and then. But the most sports, they're not making plays for others. They're making plays for themselves, and that's okay. Guys that could run off picks, you know, to get an outside shot. Guys that could get to the rim as a quick and slow enough to do so. So that's kind of a loss for me as far as Isaiah Thomas and Jordan Clarkson. Uh, I like Jordan Clarkson as a player, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, he's kind of a one-dimensional player. Not much defense, not much of a playmaker, but a really good scorer. So he's probably going to be a Lou Williams type, an Isaiah Thomas guy. It's a guy that's going to score a lot, you know, from his guard position. That's all very well and good. Um, Larry Nance was the guy you hated to lose because he was a glue guy. Great athleticism, can jump out of the gym. He's going to be in the all-star dunk contest. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, although he won't be a Laker doing so. He'll be a Cab, and I'd still watch anyways because I love you know, his uh, athletic ability. He's a defensive guy. He's also come from a family of a player named Larry Nance. 
who played in Gamer's Hall of Famer. Um, really, really, really good player. So, you know, he has the pedigree. He's got the athleticism. He plays defense. He rebounds. He can shoot the ball a little bit. That's the guy you hate to lose in this trade. But as I say, you know, in an NBA trade, there's going to be some collateral damage. You've got to give up something, and that's what you have to give up. You have to give up Larry Nance. But if you could give him up and then Jordan Clarkson and you don't match the deal, any deals that Julius Randle might get this offseason to clear up $69 million potentially, you got to do it because that's not one but two max players. And you need two stars to win in the NBA and some really good role players around them. And we've got guys on the team right now, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, that could be stars or really, really good role players. Alonzo Ball could be a star if he becomes a much better shooter. I think Kuzma got star quality, and Brandon Ingram could be a star as well. Josh Hart would be a great glue guy, a three-and-knee guy, shoots threes, plays these, does all the things you want him to do, not selfish. Um, you know, and the Lakers also got a first-round pick from Cleveland. Mind you, it'll be a late first-round pick. But let's face it, the Lakers over the years, maybe better than anybody, have identified late-round talent that have helped their team. Larry Nance is an example of that. Luke Walton was yeah. the 32nd pitch for them, you know, during the, and he was, you know, a guy that came in and did things the right way. So, you know, the Lakers over the years have been – Jordan Clarkson was the 47th pick for crying out loud. And look how much value he's created in his league and the contract extension he got. The Lakers, more than anybody, you know, do great when it comes to late first round or second round picks and getting value out of guys like that. So you get that first round pick, you clear up enough cap space to go after not one but two max free agents over the next two off seasons if you need to. The Lakers are right where they need to be. The only question is, can they turn that cap space into stars and get this Laker team back into the playoffs and getting for championships yet again. What do you think? Um, you know, that's the one thing that I think the Lakers have always had a problem with is, call, is, is creating a star and creating players that can turn into stars. Generally speaking, the Lakers are really good at getting free agents, getting big-name players to come to the L.A. Lakers to go ahead and play with them. Not so much of actually developing a young player making sure that they have all the tools that they need and watching them go from a budding star to an actual superstar. So I don't think that the Lakers, I don't think that that's their strong suit. I don't think that that's been something historically other than Kobe that they've been able to do. And, I mean, we see glimpses of it with Ingram, but at the same time, there's also moments where I see those huge laps that happens and occurs. I mean, even looking at a guy like uh, Julius Randle, who I'm surprised didn't get offloaded, and the team is is really stubborn as far as not willing to let him go for anything less than a first-round draft pick. But, you know, Julius Randle was supposed to come in and supposed to be a dominant player at his position, and he just hasn't really been that. He hasn't really been able to do that at all. So there's a, there's a drop-off somewhere as far as creating a superstar and creating a team that's able to go ahead and bank off of that rather than them going ahead what they usually do, which is sign the biggest free agents that they can get, getting them to sign and then come over to L.A. So that way there's not so much of a pressure for them to go ahead and develop talent like that. This this Lakers team is a young, good team. Um, I was actually sad to see Nance and Clarkson both go. I think if both those guys would have gotten a little bit more time as far as even, even maybe a starting role here and there, I think that the rotation could have been a little better. 
and these guys could have been a lot better than what they appeared on paper. But with guys like KCP and Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball, they have great upside. But as far as them being able to be taken to the next level, that to me is questionable just because of the of the past history that we know for this organization to be. So, and I mean, I think that rings true where they're, they're not really going to change that because I think that that's part of the reason why they're offloading all these, all this, all this cap space as well too, to go ahead and do what they usually do, which is sign the major free agent or sign the big name free agent in the off season. And then you're all of a sudden back in the playoffs and you're back on the hunt. So I, I don't think that, this roster that we currently have right now in L.A. is really going to be the end roster that they end up dealing with. However, I do think that this team is good enough to make a playoff run. I do think that they, they, they're they currently on the bud to go ahead and possibly make it into the A seed if they can go ahead and keep up the momentum that they had previously. But are they going to win a championship? Absolutely not. Are they going to be able to go ahead and compete with teams like the Warriors and OKC? They may be able to do that maybe one or two games in the series, but the end-all end scenarios be the same with them losing, you know. Until we see the Lakers create something where they take a young player, build him up, and make him transition from the potential that he has to reaching that full potential that's seen, that Laker organization is going to have constant problems every single couple of years when the free agent that they acquire or the trade that or the blockbuster deal trade that they get ends up getting older and ends up getting ready to retire. Me personally, if I was a Laker organization, I wouldn't even pick up anybody in the offseason. I would try to go ahead and continue to work on the roster that we have now and shoot for the next year when Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard and Clay Thompson will be available for free agency where you can go ahead and make a run at those guys because I, th- I see a lot of upside with the both of them. So I, I think that the Lake organization should wait, but then again, with Magic being there, they're not going to want to wait for anything. They're going to want to win that. Well, that's a thing. They should try to get Paul George and LeBron James this summer because if you don't, you've still got next summer. But if you predetermine we're not doing anything this summer, you give yourself only one chance as opposed to two. They should go after LeBron and Paul George this summer. And if they don't get them, then next summer you go after Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, or two of those three players. Um, yeah. That's what they should do. They shouldn't just take this summer off. Say, no, we're going to wait until next summer. That only hurts you. Then you only give yourself one chance. You want to give yourself a little margin for error. Because one of the Lakers have had difficulty with, they've drafted well, but they haven't done well in free agency in the last five years. That's a big reason why they haven't been in the playoffs. You can't just build a team through the draft in the NBA. You've got to do well in free agency, too, and in trades, and they've done pretty well with trades as well. Look at the Williams trade, got a first-round pick, that turned into Kyle Kuzma. Now you get a first-round pick from Cleveland, and you free up some cap spacers, what you want to go after start free agents. So they've had some good trades, and they've drafted well. But they haven't done well in free agency at all. So if they could get that corrected, then the Slaker team is back in terms of doing all three things well out of the Jerry West days, or even early in the Mitch Kupchak days, draft trade and get free agents. Then that could help make a difference. Um, so if they can get it done this summer, then it's a vastly different Laker team and organization that we've seen over the last five years. They put themselves in a position to do so. Now can they get it done? I think they can. 
we'll see if they do. Um, what about teams that look good on paper, won some games, but hurt themselves by not making any moves at the NBA at or before the NBA can get lined. Any teams out there that you can think of that you feel should have made a move to show up their chances of possibly contending for a championship? Hmm, that's a good that's a good question. Um I think uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, if I'm the Lakers, I think the one thing that I wish that would have came with that package deal is Tristan Thompson. They would have been able to go ahead and acquire Tristan Thompson. That would have been a really good deal for the Lakers, and I think that that would have definitely put them over the top to really make a playoff push right now. But um, aside from that, I mean, I don't. I don't think that any other. I don't think that any team that could make a move or that needed to make a move did make a move. I think that all the teams that needed to make trades and needed to actually go ahead and create some type of a dynamic for the team, I think that they they did it. You know, I don't really. I don't see any team that didn't really need, didn't really get anything beneficial out of the trade deadline. Um, I mean, granted. There was talks about Kemba Walker possibly being moved around, and I think Kemba Walker would have been good for whoever would have picked him up. But, I mean, aside from that, when you think about the key players not traded, I mean, just DeAndre Jordan, uh, Kemba Walker, and Julius Randle are the only real names that speak to me as far as players that should have that could have been moved, and there was talks about the movie, but they didn't move. But as far as team-wise, I don't see uh, I don't see any team that didn't really that needed to make a move that didn't you know I don't think anybody fell apart on that. What do you think? I think the Oklahoma City Thunder hurt themselves by not making a move to store up their bench. You saw the Laker Oklahoma City game where our bench killed their bench, even though Russell Westbrook that game at thirty six points, nine assists. I think Oklahoma City, if they want to truly contend for championship this year with Golden State, needed to show up their bench because I think that's the weakness of that team. They're going to be asking a lot of Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony, you know, in terms of minutes going forward for the rest of the regular season into the playoffs. So I think Oklahoma City hurt themselves by not showing up that bench. Um, well, a little bit after the Laker game against uh, after the Laker loss in Oklahoma City. Uh, or loss of the Lakers in Oklahoma City. I think that point. Uh, I, I think that that showed that game showed a glaring weakness on Oklahoma City's bench. Um, well, I mean, going back to that game, I, I believe uh, Carmelo Anthony was out there in that game, so that kind of maybe switched up their that kind of switched up their rotation in regards to that. But I mean, the bench. I don't think the bench is as bad as what you maybe think. I mean, you guys have you have guys like Allison, Raymond Felton still over there. I don't think it's good um, enough to beat Golden State. It may not be bad, but you got to be good to beat Golden State, top to bottom. Golden State, I mean, you can see the chinks in the armor that are showing with the Golden State Warriors, where they're good, they're good, they're great, but they're not as great as what everybody thinks that they be. They're they're, they're a beatable team. They're they fried right now, according to, uh, according to Steve Kerr. So, um, you know, it's the doldrums in the middle of the season for a championship contending team. If they're healthy come playoff time, I don't think their issues they're having right now are going to be there, actually, as far as, you know, doing what they need to do to get back to the finals. So, But, yeah, they are beatable. That's true. But I think right now what's going on is just when you're a championship team and you've been there multiple times, 
games in December, January, and February leading up to the All-Star break may not mean as much to you. We've seen this time and again in the NBA. It's not right, but it seems to be reality with these championship teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that part of it. Like, I definitely see, get that there, there might be some uh, there might be some lag and burn, being burned out and whatnot. But I don't think that this team is going to get into the playoffs healthy. Uh, I think that there's just too many people that are going out the night in and night out. And I just don't see this team being able to go into the playoffs healthy. And it's, all it takes is for there to be one major injury or even one hiccup as far as that team is concerned with either KD or Steph or Clay or um, anyone, or even Draymond. I mean, if you have an injury to one of those guys in the funny lineup, that changes the team dynamically. And that team all of a sudden becomes a completely different beast that you see on the floor. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to hold my breath. I mean, I, I think that this team is vulnerable come, when they get into the playoffs. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, of course, they have everything stacked up against them to go ahead and do what they need to do with the squad that they have. But I think that they definitely are beatable, and I think the team can actually upset them in the playoffs, depending on what happens. I mean, you've seen the Lakers and you've seen OKC beat them. OKC seems to have their number when they play. And with Russ playing with that chip on his shoulder, I, I firmly believe that there's a chance and a possibility that we could see this Warriors team fall maybe in the Western Championship. I, you know what? There's two things on this show that you said that are interesting. One, you don't think the Warriors are going to the NBA Finals. I don't agree with that, but if they're not healthy, then yeah, that's when they're more, that's when they're most vulnerable. Lord knows when they weren't healthy a couple of years ago, including the one the championship. That was a big part of it is uh, Steph Curry's uh, shooting struggles with the ankles. Uh, but you also describe LeBron James as a journeyman. When I think of a journeyman, I think of a guy like Lou Williams, you know, a guy that's on a different team every single year, seemingly, or always in trade rumors and so on and so forth. I don't look at LeBron as a journeyman, but the fact that you called him a journeyman was hilarious to me. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's, so dirty, he's gone to Cleveland twice, Miami, and if he goes to that. And, and Shaquille O'Neal, you can say the same thing about it. I mean, how many teams did he play for? He played for Orlando. He played for the Lakers, Miami, Phoenix, Cleveland, and Boston. But that was more so important. You you could refer to him as a journeyman a little bit, either trading or signing as a free agent or whatever it was. Interesting how some of these stars have a hard time sticking with one team, whereas Kobe Bryant, who was often considered to be the most selfish guy that ever played, played his entire career with one team. It's interesting how people perceive certain people based on certain things, but you called LeBron James a journeyman, and I think that's hilarious. And I think depending on how many teams he plays for, if he gets a Shaq's level of six teams and you're a first ballot Hall of Famer, then why did you play for so many teams, you know, given how successful you are? Shaq's a little bit of a different uh, a difference in this conversation, however, though, because Shaq did this more so towards the end of his career. It wasn't necessarily for him to go ahead and kind of garner any type of respect. He did this towards the end of his career. I mean, him going from Orlando to the Lakers was more so a deal to well, go ahead and get them over the top. Did, and that was his best years. His best years were in L.A. by far. You know, that's where oh, he yeah. won the well, majority of his say, championships. That's where he made, made the majority of his money. 
you know, he was in L.A. as an entertainment guy. who was a hip-hop, you know, just like hip-hop albums at the time. Shazam, you know, the movie, one of the stupidest yeah. movies ever made. But that's beside the You know, L.A. Don't was his best days. Don't forget his basketball Steel, career, mean, his business, his entertainment, and all of that stuff. Those were by far the prime years of his career. But he still played for six teams. And he's yeah. a superstar, and he's a surefire Hall of Famer, and I, I just find that interesting. With see LeBron James as a journeyman, I started to think about, well, Shaquille O'Neal, you could have kind of said the same thing about him. Absolutely. Even though as good time. as he was. But, and uh, like I said, at the same time, you have to look at it at the time frame that they're doing it. I mean, LeBron James, he went ahead. He was, the end of his he, career. He started his career out. You know, he started his career in Cleveland, and then, He's pretty much still in the prime of his career, like actually going from the transition of being a young kid to going into his prime. He ends up leaving, going to Miami. He stays in Miami, still in his prime, ends up coming back to Cleveland, and now he's going to be leaving Cleveland pretty soon to go probably to a Western Conference team. To you know, He's going to be a journeyman. He's not going to stick around and stay in one spot because the fact is, is that he's never, he doesn't have anybody to play his Robin to his Batman. That's what he's looking for. Well, we will see. We will see if either George Hill or or, or Rodney Hood could be the bat or the Robin to his Batman. You know, that's yeah, why it drives it. me crazy. Like, oh, I think he could stay now because the team got younger, more athletic. It's like, no. no. Uh, tell me if he's going to stay or not. If you don't know, just shut up. Honestly, we don't yeah. know what's going to happen. You know, that's why I love when they grade these trades, winners and losers. Like, you know, they do that for entertainment reasons, but in the day, we don't know. We don't know how all this stuff is going to turn out. You know, it's like calling Lonzo Bust a, uh, you know, uh, Lonzo Ball at Lonzo Bust. Lonzo Ball a bust because of the first 10 games of, uh, of his career. It's like, why don't you give him a whole season, at least his rookie contract, before you determine what kind of player he is in the NBA. Yep. People just don't wait on this stuff anymore. It's, it's quick snap judgments. It's hot takes. Porn world will burn your fingers and your hands. Um, there's just no patience anymore to let things play out the way they, uh, the way they should. It's just sad and annoying to me. Uh, so we don't know how all this stuff is going to turn out. Um, but I think LeBron is leaving Cleveland. But you know, if if Rodney Hood or George Hill could be the Robin to his Batman, maybe he does stay. It depends on how the rest of the season goes. But we have George to let Hill the rest of the it. season go before we decide. You know what? Uh, you know what is to be. So. Yeah, George Hill is not going to be it though. George Hill had a decent year in Utah, had a decent time in Indiana, but he's not going to be it. He's LeBron is looking for. Someone of that Paul George-esque type level of play. He's not going to get that in the the people that they picked up. He's just looking at that as, you know, those are those are small pieces to what the uh, the overall picture and puzzle is. So, here's here's a LeBron a, James one ad. LeBron James one ad. Join me on an NBA team for the chance to win a championship and a whole lot of selfies on Facebook, uh, yeah. on on Twitter. Prerequisites: You must have been in the All Star game at least two times, played at least one NBA final, and be eligible to make twenty million dollars a year or more as a max NBA player. If you are that guy, then apply to join a team with me, either on the East Coast or the West Coast or somewhere in between, and we will win championships together. That's what the LeBron James wanted. That reads. That's that. That's spot on. 
That that is exactly what it sounds like. Something straight out of Match.com. It looks like that sounds like exactly what his profile would be. That sounds exactly. I wonder if he like did a Match.com. What that would look like. They told us at NBA Match.com. NBA players putting out one ads as to the type of teammates that they want. LeBron James, I would just say for Steph Curry, it's uh, <laughs> we should do a whole segment on this on the next show. Actually, this is the tease for the next show that I think let's try to come up with NBA superstars and if they were posting ads, call it NBAMatch.com, where we match them up with playmates that they want to play with based on certain prerequisites you know, uh, to play nicely with those particular players. Guys like LeBron, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, and uh, guys like that, Damian Lillard. Um, I think that would be a fun segment to do. So we're going to try to do that in the next few shows. NBAMatch.com, matching up superstars with other stars that will make for highlights on ESPN, championship runs, and a whole lot of selfies on Twitter. How about that? That sounds like a plan. Hey, yeah, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> Let's oh, work on man. that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we're we got about eight minutes left here. I got to ask you. So you Darvis signed with the Cubs for six years, under twenty-six million, potentially under fifty million if he hits incentives. He's thirty years old, so right off the bat, you have to say it's a risk because when a pitcher hits thirty, you sign him for six yeah. years, you may get three good years. He's so good. So, what do you think about this deal for the Cubs? Uh, yeah, yeah. What they need to do in order to make sure that it's a good deal for them, given you, Darvis, will probably not be great for those six years. There's nothing that they can do. They got, they got swindled. They got swindled. There's nothing that they can do. That, that was a terrible pick. Did they not see what happened in the playoffs? Did they not see what this guy They better win a World I mean. Series in the next two or three years. After 33, all bets are off, but they better win a World Series in the next couple of years. If they do that, I would say it was worth it because it would be their second World Series title after over 100 years, which they didn't win a World Series title at all. So I think that would be worth it. But they better do it in the next so you years. Think, so you think this Darvis, so you think that's a decent trade if they can go ahead and get it in the next three years? They better. And they can. You know, when you guys got when you got hot corners like Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, I you know, and they're, and they're decently managed by Joe Madden, who's not as good a manager as people think he is, but at the same time it's not bad. You know, they have a very talented team. They're always gonna be one of the top teams offensively, and you've got a lot of good pitchers around them. You know, you got Jose Quintana and Kyle Hendricks, who was a Cy Young candidate a couple of years ago. A lot of these guys fell off last year. John Lester's very experienced, even if he doesn't throw to first base and is getting older. So, yeah, in the next year or two, they could easily win a World Series if their pitching holds up. They've got some good guys on their rotation, Tyler Chatwood as well. So they've got the type of pitching that if it does well enough, they'll score runs. You know, this team is going to score runs and score a lot of runs with the pieces that they have. Um, it's just a matter of the pitching holding up, but I think it's all well enough. But again, I would say in the next two years, ideally, if not three at the most, they need to get another World Series if you Darvish is going to be the guy that's going to lead them in that rotation, along with Quintana and Kyle Hendricks, um, who was great for the World, for the Cubs when they won the World Series a couple of years ago. He was the one who So they've got the guys. It's just a matter of health and intestinal fortitude and taking advantage of this before you Darvis's you Darvis gets to the second half of his deal. 
as a thirty plus uh as a thirty plus starting pitch. Uh yeah, I don't see this as being a good deal. I I don't think that if you sign somebody, especially at that age, if you're gonna sign somebody, you don't give them all that time because that time frame is gonna be basically garbage time that you're gonna be getting from them towards the end of that contract. Um, you said within about three years. That sounds like a decent timeline, but the problem with that three years is that a lot could happen, especially with them creeping up in age like that. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to be more susceptible to injury. You know, so maybe so. At, and that's part of the luck factor. You know, there's there's a little bit of luck involved. So, but they have guys that have had success in the majors, and this and is a team that has won a one series, so they know what it takes. So. Yeah, so, and I mean, taking also into consideration, too, what's the pitching rotation going to be like? Where is he going to start? Where are they going to have him? How many games is he expected to actually start and pitch? Like, what, what, what is the upside that they're expecting from him? That's another thing, too. Is he going to have a limited 25 to 30 starts in all likelihood. Yeah. If you're, 25 if you're to 30 starts that, in all likelihood, so we'll see. If you're asking for that, that arm is not going to hold up over three years. I don't think that arm is going to hold up for three years. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you don't get your World Series title with him and the other guys you got in the first three years of Darvis's deal, then this is going to turn out to be a very bad contract for the Cubs. We will see. Do you think this signing, though, is a very cold winter for MLB free agents, J.D. Martinez, Eric Osmond, guys like that? Uh, do you think this opened up the floodgates to where these guys will finally get signed uh, two teams? before uh, spring training begins, which is right around the corner. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to move the needle. I think, if anything, they'll probably get picked up maybe a little closer, but not right now. I don't think the floodgates are going to open anytime soon. I mean, we haven't seen any type of movement going on other than this garbage deal. So I, I don't see this as being think, something that's going to open up the floodgates. I think that these players have got to relent. I think if you get a deal – Take it and go from there. The owners have, you know, the $197 million luxury tax threshold. A lot of teams have made it known they don't want to go above that. You know, this is a good free agent class, not a great one. It's not like a bunch of A-Rods or Barry Bonds or, you know, difference-making type players. You know, Roger Clemens is crying, stuff like that. J.D. Martinez is a really good player, but he's not in the caliber of other guys that have signed big kind Bryce Harper. Mike Trott, he's not in that class. He just isn't. So he's got to be realistic um, with what his demands are. Uh, you got to sign somewhere and just play the game and go from there. You know? So I, I think these owners have made it known that they want to spend a certain amount of money and the players are just going to have to adjust, which is weird because usually players get paid what they want. You know, it's a player-driven sport. And the players, you know, over the years has been strong. But Tony Clark, the uh, director of the Players Association, Kind of put the players in a tough spot here. So I think the players got to yeah. do what they got to do. Even if it means take a little bit less money than they think they deserve. Uh, we got about a minute left here. So any final remarks on the world of sports that you want to bring up? 60 seconds. Um, it's going to be a very interesting NBA season. That's all I can say. And uh, looking forward to see what happens with All-Star break. Looking forward to the playoffs for the NBA and uh, looking forward to some uh, baseball string teams. The Yankees are looking strong. Uh, we'll see what yeah. Alex Hollis Stanton does, and we'll see what Tiffany does. Looking forward to that and looking forward to see what the Lakers do this offseason. We are out of here.
Thank you very much for listening to Dyer Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS, RadioAFS.com, Facebook.com, slash Radio AFS. For Patrick Duhaney, I'm Steve Etzkowitz. Thank you for listening. We'll be on next week looking at yeah, NFL yeah. teams in the AFC and NFC East as well as NBAMatch.com. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. And thank you for listening. God bless you. God bless.